Greetings and welcome to another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon. My name is Jeremy Walker and it's my privilege to step with you through the sermons preached by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, sometimes called the Prince of Preachers, an eminent Calvinistic Baptist minister in London in the 19th century, a man noted not only because of his work for God, but also his walk with God, a man greatly gifted and greatly used by God for the glory of his name. Because of that, we want to learn from him and primarily learn of Christ from him. And so we read through his published sermons. And this week we're in 171 to 177. Those are in the New Park Street Pulpit, Volume 4. And if you want to follow along, you can either find us on Twitter at Reading Spurgeon or you can sign up for a regular newsletter at the Media Gratii web pages. Uh, find the From the Heart of Spurgeon podcast page, and there's a, a weekly update going out so you know what there is to read. And then every week we identify one particular sermon that we hope will be of particular benefit, try and find something that's reasonably representative, and this week it's Sermon 175. Its title is The Two Talents, and it was preached on the 31st of January, 1858, at the Music Hall in the Royal Surrey Gardens. If you were to turn to the end of the sermon, you would see that the occasion seems to be the collection of funds for poorer Baptist ministers. And those ministers, uh, not only poor, might have been largely unknown, perhaps not particularly or prodigiously gifted men, and Spurgeon's text is Matthew 25, verses 22 to 23. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And this is particularly one of Spurgeon's exhortatory sermons. He often preaches to stir up God's people to Christian effort and endeavour, and those sermons tend to be equally encouraging and challenging. And that's what he's seeking to do here, particularly with ministry in mind, but he goes broader than that. He begins by noting that all the honour of our ability and the use of it must be unto God because he is the giver and that reality of the sovereign dispensation and distribution of gifts is going to be prominent uh, in other parts of his sermon. So he's recognising that uh, in the world there are men who have only a few talents, some have more, some have less and it's to the lesser talented men. Now talents here uh, has a bit of a double meaning in English. It's a weight of money in our Bibles. We often think of talents as gifts. Uh, and perhaps there's a little bit of a play on the words here in Spurgeon's sermon. But the the parable itself, it's money that's being invested. But the parallel in the parable is that it is our gifts, our uh, opportunities, our privileges, uh, they are the things that we are investing. And Spurgeon is speaking particularly to the men in the world who have but few talents. He's not condescending, uh, as we'll see, he's simply recognising reality. 
and so he wants first of all to notice the fact that there are many persons who only have few talents, and he's going to try to account for God's dispensing only a few to them. Secondly, he's going to remind us that even for these few talents, those men must be brought to account. They're going to give an answer for the way in which they make their investment. And thirdly, he's going to make a comforting observation that, if our few talents be rightly used, neither our own conscience nor our master's judgment shall condemn us for not having more. So, first of all then, God has made some men with few talents. And Spurgeon criticises those who uh, criticise ministers who are godly and earnest men, but not particularly gifted. Now, this is interesting, uh, not least because Spurgeon himself is is prodigiously gifted, but uh, I think typically fairly humble, uh, or at least uh, fairly downbeat about his gifts. But what's striking here is that Spurgeon often does have a a little dig at people who uh, don't seem to be making very much progress. And uh, he tends to speak sometimes as if everybody could be expected to make uh, good progress, uh, either like him or after the same fashion as him. But here he's perhaps a little bit more sensitive and talks about those who don't have much attracting power, often called drones and lazy persons because they can't make much of a stir in the world, whereas the reason may be that they only have little talent and they are making the best use of what they have and therefore ought not to be rebuked for the littleness of what they are able to accomplish. He's simply recognising that different men have different degrees of giftedness, different capacities, different abilities. And it's God who's made the great and decided differences. And we need to take account of this, lest we should say harsh things of those very men to whom God will afterwards say, well done, good and faithful servant. And if that only just takes a bit of the sting out of some of Spurgeon's comments, or perhaps the comments of others, there's already comfort for those of us who actually don't have a great deal to offer in ourselves, reminding us that this is of God's dispensation. But Spurgeon wants to know why that's the case, and these are the things that he's been thinking about. The first answer is, because God is a sovereign, and of all attributes next to his love, God is the most fond of displaying his sovereignty. God simply delights to give as he pleases. We retain that right to ourselves with the things that belong to us, God has done it with the things that belong to him, and so God chooses to give to one more and to another less, and that is his divine prerogative. But furthermore, God distributes with this uh, difference because he is a lover of variety. It was said, says Spurgeon, that order is heaven's first law, and surely variety is the second, for in all God's works there is the most beautiful diversity. And so that's true in the church. It's true in the members of the body. He is, uh, whether it's the the natural world or the uh, the world of the 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 distinctions among the angels, or within uh, creation considered with regard to men and women, God has been pleased to appoint different men with different gifts and graces for these different purposes. And there's something that is beautiful 
in that as each part fits together. We might say that that's what happens in any given church. We know that the different members of the body of Christ have different functions. They relate to one another, but the beauty and the proportion and the variety of the whole all serves to demonstrate the wisdom of God. But he goes further still, that God gives to men some men only a few talents because he has many small spheres and he would have these filled. He says there's an appropriateness to this. There are some posts of important duty and God fits men with the the nerve and muscle, he says, for that particular labour. He's made a statue for every niche and a picture for every portion of the gallery, none left vacant, but since some niches are small, so shall be the statuettes that occupy them. In other words, God doesn't fit a man with prodigious grace and gift if he's going to put him in a place that doesn't necessarily require it. Two are enough. Five would be too many. And so again, there's there's a wisdom and there's a kindness in fitting a man to the sphere in which he's going to labour. And then again, God gives to men two talents because in them very often he displays the greatness of his grace in saving goals. And so what you've got here is uh, the reminder that it's too easy to look at prodigiously gifted men and presume that it's his gifts that are the cause of whatever blessing he sees in his ministry. Whereas when you see a man who's clearly not very gifted, whose speech is rough, whose uh, manners are a bit vulgar, who uh, doesn't particularly Uh, think very clearly, couldn't write particularly effectively, and yet he speaks earnestly, he speaks plainly, he speaks clearly, and God blesses his ministry. Spurgeon's point is, that's when it's very clear that it's the work of God and not the work of a man. God delights to take the foolish things of the world to put to shame the things that are wise. And so God is not a greater God to our apprehension when we see, says Spurgeon, the boundless fields of ether and the unnumbered orbs swimming therein than when we see a humble cottager and behold God's perfect word carried out in her soul and God's highest glory wrought from her little talent. Surely if in the little man can honour himself as well as in the great, the infinite and the eternal can most of all glorify himself when he stoops to the littlenesses of mankind. So here's a woman, uh, perhaps despised, overlooked, and yet even if she has very little to offer, God's glory is brought out of her in a way that perhaps someone with more to offer wouldn't bring glory to God precisely because God must have done something in order for her to accomplish anything. And so again, there are some real encouragements here when you think about the fact that people may despise us for what we are and for what we're not and perhaps a a preacher is criticised or a church worker is uh, dismissed and We're told that we're not as gifted as we perhaps think we are, although typically we actually don't think we're very gifted at all. We spend more time criticising ourselves perhaps than others realise. People tell us that no one will ever uh, be saved under our ministry, that uh, our work isn't particularly valuable, that uh, there's not much point us trying anything. Well, actually, if we're that worthless, then perhaps we're the very people that God might be pleased to use to bring glory to himself. So God himself is the the distributor 
of these gifts, and he has a particular wisdom and a particular purpose in distributing to some fewer talents. But even those few talents are being entrusted to his creatures, and so we need to make use of them. And if our talent is little, then actually it doesn't take much for us to invest it and make the most of it. Uh, it's a quite an interesting take. It shows something of Spurgeon's, uh, I think, optimism and activism. Whereas some might say, well, it's not very big, so it's not worth doing anything with. He says, though it may be small, actually that makes it all the more easy to uh, to employ. And so if you've got only a little talent, only a small gift, then it doesn't require a great deal to put it to use. And you need to, because in the day of judgment, you're going to give a personal account. God's not going to ask what the church did, but what you did. Not what the minister did or the teachers in the Sunday school did, but what you did, how you were involved, your particular engagement. We can't point at somebody else or or just try and sink ourselves into the great mass of people. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that everybody can do the same thing and that the one who prays, for example, is less valuable than the one who uh, serves more actively, but it's not what your brothers are doing, but it's what you do that you will be called to account for at the bar of God. Each one of you will be asked this question, what have you done with your talent? Whether that's a public or a private gift, what have you done with what you were given? And all your connection with churches will avail you nothing. It's your personal doings, your personal service towards God that is demanded of you as an evidence of saving grace. Then the account that you give will have to be particular. It's going to be with regard even to the small things, the, the moments and the words. You had an hour to spare the other day. What did you do? You had a voice. How did you use it? You had a pen. You could use that. How did you employ it? Each particular shall be brought out and there shall be demanded an account for each one. We're reminded that even for our careless words, we'll have to give an account. And then it's going to be an exact account because the, the small things will be taken into account as much as the large. When God comes to look at our hearts, he will look not only at the great, but at the little, the pence sins, as well as the pound iniquities. And then at last, it's going to be an impartial account. It won't be with regard to your, your status, your reputation. Everyone must give an account of their own talents and the way that they have used them. It will be personal. It will be impartial. It will be you as you before God. And so he says especially that we need then the blood of Christ to plead because our first uh, concern then is not so much what we have done, but whom we have trusted and whether or not we are standing right with God in Christ Jesus. And so if by divine grace, here's his third point, if by divine grace our two talents be rightly used, and it's a reminder here from Spurgeon that it's grace that not only gives the gift, but also the grace to use it, the fact that we did not have five will not do us any harm. It will be no injury to us. It's a reminder that we will not be held to account for what God did not give us and does not expect of us. But on the other hand, 
for what he did give us and does expect of us. So you hear the challenge and the comfort mixed together. The challenge. If God's given you something, you need to use it. The encouragement or the comfort. If God hasn't given you something, then you don't expect to use what you've not been given. So he says, yes, uh, there is many a humble village pastor whose flock scarcely numbers 50, who toils for them as for his life, who spends hours in praying for their welfare, who uses all the little ability he has in his endeavour to win them to Christ. And do you think that his entry into heaven shall be less triumphant than the entry of such a man as Luther? See, we tend to think of the the great heroes of the past and perhaps men that we highly esteem in our own day as somehow having been more faithful when they may have been as faithful but with greater gifts that God gave them. In fact, not trying to criticise anybody, they may not have been as faithful with their greater gifts but still have received what looks like greater blessing whereas a lesser man may have been more faithful and was blessed in accordance with his lesser gifts. And so it's the faithfulness, it's the uh, heart of the man upon which the Lord looks. And the Lord then distributes rewards, not according to the greatness of the goods with which someone was entrusted, but according to their faithfulness in using them. And he who's been faithful with regard to the least shall be as much rewarded as he that has been faithful in much. And for those who labour with the the tens or the twenties or the fifties, just as much as those who labour with the, the thousands and the ten thousands, Christ is saying that it is how we have discharged our duty that will be taken into account, whatever that duty may be. And the so-called lesser man, perhaps the greater man with the lesser gifts, might be praying, Oh my Lord, give me greater ability and greater grace to serve thee, for I long to do more. And he sits down to read his diary and he thinks, This doesn't tell very much. There's no account of my journey through 50 counties. I can't tell how I've travelled from land to land as Paul did to preach the truth. No, I've just had to keep in, in this parish, in this place, and I've been pretty well starved to death, toiling for this people. And if I've added some 10 or a dozen to the church, that's been a very great deal to me. Why, I hear that Mr. So-and-so was privileged to add two or three hundred in a year. Oh, that I could do that. Surely when I go to heaven, I shall creep in at the door somehow, while he by grace will be enabled to go boldly in, bringing his sheaves with him. Now, I've got to say that that's pretty much a transcript of the way that many of us think if we're in the ministry, because the world still loves what it calls the success story. And we do have the habit of comparing uh, what we do and where we are with this great glowing uh, mega train that's running with all lights blazing and whistles blowing and everybody applauds and and we think, well, Lord, I wish I could do more. I wish I could serve better, but I don't do very much and I feel as if I'm not accomplishing anything. And Spurgeon speaks and he says, that's little faith. Your master will not deal in that way with you. He will ask, what have you done with what I gave you? I put you in a smaller place. I gave you a smaller sphere. I equipped you 
with grace and gifts suitable to the demands that I laid upon you. I am still your saviour. You have everything that you need in me. Your acceptance with God is in the beloved. Christ's righteousness is your righteousness. And though you have done little, you have done as much as you could for him. And that's what the man needs to say, that the acceptance with God, the uh, the pardon that he receives, the sins that he's committed that are going to be covered in the blood, the duty that he's performed in dependence upon divine grace, the gifts which he's exercised, all of this depends upon God. And though others may have done more or achieved more with the things and in the places where God put them, that nevertheless he has received his two talents and he's gained beside them two talents more. And not only was there no difference then in the master's commendation, but there was none in the reward. The five-talent man and the two-talent man, both of whom used the gifts that God had given them, heard, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And Spurgeon reminds us that uh, though a Whitfield might have stood before 20,000 to preach the gospel and some poor girl might have uh, slaved away in order to have something to give to the poor people around her, that Christ will regard the investment of both on the same basis, will consider the good that that each has done in accordance with their capacity, their gifts, their opportunity, and will reward both if both have served eagerly and willingly and cheerfully and diligently and faithfully. If there are degrees in glory, says Spurgeon, they'll not be distributed according to our talents, but according to our faithfulness in using them. As to whether there are degrees or not, he says, I don't know, but this I do. He that does his Lord's will shall have said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. And so here's the exhortation. And here on the one hand is the challenge. Here on the other hand is the, uh, the, the comfort or the encouragement. The question isn't how many gifts do I have first and foremost, but what do I do with however many gifts I do have? Now, I cannot make my fewness or smallness of gift an excuse because I'm going to be answerable for what I've received and how I've invested it. But neither do I need to despair because of the smallness of my gift, because it is not that that is the the final decision maker, the final factor in any of these equations, but rather the the reminder that even if I've only been given a little, if I use that faithfully, then my master will be pleased with the service of his disciple. And I hope that whether or not we are preachers and teachers, whether or not we work in the Sunday school or uh, perhaps serve in some other capacity in the church, whether or not we um, accompany the, the the sung worship or uh, perhaps we we are our deacons. Uh, or elders who don't preach very much, or maybe we 
welcome people at the door or at the gate. Maybe we do things that nobody else sees. Maybe we're on the cleaning team in the church building. Maybe we do the gardening. Maybe we're an encourager. Maybe we're a prayer. Maybe we're a a, a comforter. There are so many things done, some public, some private. But the question isn't so much what have you been given to do, but how do you do it? And that then ought to be both a challenge and an encouragement to us. And with regard then to the preachers whom Spurgeon has in mind, he simply reminds people that if there's poverty anywhere, it's to be found among the ministers in the Baptist churches. And I'm sorry to say that one cause of it is the fault of the people themselves. They are so little in the habit of giving that their ministers are starved. Now, for some of us, gladly, that's not true. For others, sadly, it still is. It's not a fault restricted to Baptists by any means. And these humble men of lesser gifts are sometimes simply expected to get by more or less on or below the breadline. And now's not the time to tell some of the horror stories about the way that some of those men have been effectively abused or neglected by their their congregations or others like them. But here's a point you may have been given a gift to give. You may have been given something to bestow upon others. Here's an investment for you. One of the best blessings that you can give to a church and its pastor is to give generously, willingly and eagerly so that those men who serve in the ministry of the word can serve without distraction with regard to themselves and their wives and their families, if that's whom the Lord has given them. With regard to putting food on the table, they can give generous hospitality. They can live in this world, not with an abundance. That's typically not what they're going to be after, but with a competent portion, with a sufficiency, with a, a perhaps even a generous amount in order that they may give themselves without distraction or concern to the work of the Lord, may serve themselves eagerly and readily without any concern, may serve others with what they themselves have received, and we trust will therefore be even more a blessing to the church. Who knows, if a two-talent man relieved of the burden of financial concern, might be able to invest those two talents with even greater vigour, earnestness and urgency, and under God begin to prove even more not only his faithfulness but God's and the fruitfulness that God can grant to a man who gives himself to the work. May God help each one of us whether we're the two or the five or anything in between or more or less, to use what God has given us for the praise and the glory of his great name. Thank you for listening. I'm Jeremy Walker, and From the Heart of Spurgeon is a podcast from Media Gratii. For more resources like this, including a biographical film of Spurgeon's life and labours, visit mediagratii.org.